Chapter Two of the Andes and the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Andes and the Amazon by James Orton. Chapter Two. We reached Savaneta at five p.m. This little village of hardly twenty houses became the bodegas, or places of deposit for the mountains, six months in the year. For in the invierno the roads are flooded, and canoes take the place of mules from Savaneto to Babaoyo. Even in the dry season the dampness of this wilderness is so great that the traveler's sugar and chocolate are melted into one, and envelopes seal themselves. We put up at a tambo, or wayside inn, a simple two-storied bamboo hovel, thatched with plantain leaves without, and plastered with cobwebs within, yet a palace compared with what sheltered us afterwards. The only habitable part was the second story, which was reached by a couple of notched bamboo sticks. A hammock, two earthen kettles, two plates, and a few calabashes constituted the household furniture. The dormitory was well ventilated, for two sides were open. Our lodging, however, cost us nothing. Travelers only pay for yerba for their beasts. Though this has been the royal road to Quito for three centuries, there is but one posada between Guayaquil and Ambato, a distance of one hundred and fifty miles. Travelers must carry their own bedding and provisions. Ascending the Andes Leaving Savaneta at dawn, and breakfasting at a wayside hut owned by an old negro, we struck about noon the rio Charriguajaco, dashing down the mountains in hot haste for the Guayas. It was refreshing to look upon living waters for the first time since leaving the hills of our native country. Fording this stream we know not how many times, and winding through the dense forest in narrow paths often blockaded by laden donkeys that doggedly disputed the passage, we soon found ourselves slowly creeping up the Andes. We frequently met mountaineers on their way to bodegas with loads of potatoes, peas, barley, fowls, eggs, etc., they are generally accompanied by their wives or daughters, who ride like the men, but with the knees tucked up higher. On the slippery tracks which traverse this western slope, bulls are often used as beasts of burden, the cloven hoofs enabling them to descend with great security. But mules are better than horses or asses. That a hybrid, muses Darwin, should possess more reason, memory, obstinacy, social affection, powers of muscular endurance, and length of life than either of its parents, seems to indicate that art has here outdone nature. Toward evening the ascent became rapid and the road horrible beyond conception, growing narrower and rougher as we advanced. Indeed, our way had long since ceased to be a road. In the dense forest, where sunshine never comes, rocks, mud, and fallen trees in rapid alternation macadamize the path save where it turns up the bed of a babbling brook. In the comparatively level tracts, the equable step of the beasts has worn the soil into deep transverse ridges, called camellones, from their resemblance to the humps on a camel's back. In the precipitous parts, the road is only a gully, worn by the transit of men and beasts for ages, aided by torrents of water in the rainy season. As we ascend, this changes to a rocky staircase, so straight that one must throw up his legs to save them from being crushed, and so steep that horse and rider run the risk of turning a somersault. 
it is fearful to meet in a narrow defile or where the road winds around the edge of a precipice a drove of reckless donkeys and mules descending the mountain urged on by the cries and lashes of the muleteers behind yet this has been the highway of ecuadorian commerce for three hundred years in vain we tried to reach the little village of camino real on the crest of the ridge but the night was advancing rapidly and crawling up such a road by starlight was not a little dangerous so we put up at a miserable tambo bogios by name it was a mud hut of the rudest kind windowless and unfloored very clean if it had been left to nature but man and beast had rendered it intolerably filthy our hostess a quichua woman with tattered garments and hair dishevelled and standing up as if electrified set a kettle on three stones and making a fire under it prepared for us a calabash of chicken and locro locro the national dish in the mountains is in plain english simply potato soup sitting on the ground we partook of this refreshment by the aid of fingers and wooden spoons enticing our appetites by the reflection that potato soup would support life the unkempt indian by our side grinning in conscious pride over her successful cookery did not aid us in this matter fire is used in ecuador solely for culinary purposes not for warmth it is made at no particular spot on the mud floor and there is no particular orifice for the exit of the smoke save the chinks in the wall there is not a chimney in the whole republic as the spare room in the establishment belonged to the women we gentlemen slept on the ground outside or on beds made of round poles the night was piercingly cold the wished-for morning came at last and long before the sun looked over the mountains we were on our march it was the same terrible road running zigzag or kingo fashion up to camino real where it was suddenly converted into a royal highway we were now fairly out of the swamps of the lowlands and though under the equator out of the tropics too the fresh mountain breeze and the chilly mists announced a change of climate footnote the altitude of seven thousand feet is the usual limit of the rain line on the west slope of the andes the condensation which produces rain takes place at the equator two or three times higher than in our latitude End footnote. fevers and dysenteries snakes and mosquitoes the plantain and the palm we had left behind camino real is a huddle of eight or ten dwellings perched on the summit of a sierra a thousand feet higher than the top of mount washington the views from this standpoint compensate for all past troubles the wild chaos of mountains on every side broken by profound ravines the heaps of ruins piled up during the lapse of geologic ages the intense azure of the sky and the kingly condor majestically wheeling around the still higher pinnacles make up a picture rarely to be seen westward the mountains tumble down into hills and spread out into plains which in the far distant horizon dip into the great pacific the setting sun turns the ocean into a sheet of liquid fire long columns of purple light shoot up to the zenith and as the last point of the sun sinks beneath the horizon the stars rush out in full splendor for at the equator day gives place to night with only an hour and twenty minutes of twilight the mountains are alpine yet grander than the alps not so ragged as the granite peaks of switzerland but with rounder heads the prospect down this occidental slope is diversified by deep valleys landslides and flowering trees magnificent are the views eastward where andes giant of the western star 
looks from his throne of clouds or half the world the majestic dome of chimborazo was entirely uncovered of clouds and presented a most splendid spectacle there it stood its snow-white summit unsullied by the foot of man towering up twice as high as etna for many years it received the homage of the world as the highest point in america but now the aconcagua of chile claims the palm still what a panorama from the top of chimborazo could one reach it for the eye would command ten thousand square miles our road gently winds down the sierra giving us at every turn sublime ideas of what nature can do in tossing up the thin crust of our globe but sublimity is at a discount here there is too much of it suddenly we are looking down into the enchanting valley of chimbo this romantic and secluded spot is one of those forgotten corners of the earth which barricaded against the march of civilization by almost impassable mountains and inhabited by a thriftless race has been left far behind in the progress of mankind distance lends enchantment to the view we are reminded of the pastoral vales of new england wheat takes the place of the sugar-cane barley of cacao potatoes of plantains and turnips of oranges bamboo sheds have given way to neatly whitewashed villages and the fields are fenced with rows of aloe but drawing nearer we find the habitations are in reality miserable mud hovels without windows and tenanted by vermin and ragged poverty there are herds of cattle and fields of grain yet we shall not find a quart of milk or a loaf of bread for sale the descent into the valley is very precipitous and after a rain alarmingly slippery mules drawing their legs together slide down with startling velocity and follow the windings with marvelous dexterity we arrived at guaranda at five p m on the third day after leaving bodegas this is a desolate town of two thousand souls dwelling in low dilapidated huts made of the most common building material in the andes adobe or sun-dried blocks of mud mingled with straw footnote from adub an egyptian word still used by the copts carried by the moors to spain thence to america and from america the word has gone to the sandwich islands End footnote. the streets are rudely paved and pitched to the centre to form an aqueduct like the streets of old syker the inhabitants are in happy ignorance of the outside world they pass the day without a thought of work standing on the plaza or in front of some public office staring vacantly into space or gossiping a cock-fight will soonest rouse them from their lethargy they seem to have no purpose in life but to keep warm under their ponchos and to eat when they are hungry guaranda is a healthy locality lying in a deep valley on the west bank of the chimbo at an elevation according to our barometer of eight thousand eight hundred and forty feet and having a mean temperature slightly less than that of quito it is a place of importance inasmuch as it is the resting place before ascending or after descending the still loftier ranges and much more because it is the capital of the region which yields the invaluable cinchona or peruvian bark footnote this celebrated febrifuge was first taken to europe about the middle of the seventeenth century and was named after the countess of chinchon who had been cured of intermittent fever at lima afterward when cardinal de lugo spread the knowledge of the remedy through france and recommended it to cardinal mazarin it received the name of jesuit's bark the french chemists pelletier and caverton discovered quinine in eighteen twenty 
this tree is indigenous to the andes where it is found on the western slope between the altitudes of two thousand and nine thousand feet the species richest in alkaloids occupying the higher elevations where the air is moist dr weddell enumerates twenty-one species seven of which are now found in ecuador but the only one of value is the cinchona saxirubra the calisaya has run out and this is now nearly extinct as the trees have been destroyed to obtain the bark this species is a beautiful tree having large broadly oval deep green shining leaves white fragrant flowers and red bark and sometimes though rarely attains the height of sixty feet a tree five feet in circumference will yield fifteen hundred pounds of green bark or eight hundred of the dry the roots contain the most alkaloid though the branches are usually barked for commerce the true cinchona barks containing quinine and cinchonine are distinguished from the false by their splintery fibrous texture the latter being preeminently corky the cascarilleros begin to hunt for bark in august dr taylor of riobamba found one tree which gave three thousand six hundred dollars worth of quinine the general yield is from three to five pounds to a quintal of bark the tree has been successfully transplanted to the united states and particularly to india where there are now over a million of plants it was introduced into india by markham in eighteen sixty one the bark is said to be stronger than that from ecuador yielding twice as much alkaloid or eleven per cent the quinine of commerce will doubtless come hereafter from the slopes of the himalayas instead of the andes in eighteen sixty seven only five thousand pounds of bark were exported from guayaquil the indians use the bark of another tree the maravilla which is said to yield a much stronger alkaloid than cinchona it grows near pallatanga we left guaranda at five a m by the light of venus and orion having exchanged our horses for the sure-footed mule it was a romantic ride from a neighboring standpoint church took one of his celebrated views of the heart of the andes but the road as aforetime was a mere furrow made and kept by the tread of beasts for a long distance the track runs over the projecting and jagged edges of steeply inclined strata of slate which nobody has had the energy to smooth down at many places on the road were human skulls set in niches in the bank telling tales of suffering in their ghastly silence while here and there a narrow passage was blocked up by the skeleton or carcass of a beast that had borne its last burden at nine o'clock we came out on a narrow grassy ridge called the ensillada or saddleback where there were three straw huts with roofs resting on the ground and there we breakfasted on locro during our stay the indians killed a pig and before the creature was fairly dead dry grass was heaped upon it and set on fire this is the ordinary method of removing the bristles still ascending we lose sight of the valley of the chimbo and find ourselves in a wilderness of crags and treeless mountains clothed with a long dreary-looking paramo grass called paja but we are face to face with the monarch of the andes and we shall have its company the rest of the day the snowy dome is flooded with the golden light of heaven delicate clouds of softest hues float around its breast while far below its feet are wrapped in the baser mists of earth we attain the summit of the pass at eleven a m all travellers strive to reach it early in the morning for in the afternoon it is swept by violent winds which render it uncomfortable if not dangerous 
This part of the road is called the Arenal, from the sand and gravel which cover it. It is about a league in length and crosses the side of Chimborazo at an elevation of more than 14,000 feet. Chimborazo stands on the left of the traveler. How tantalizing its summit! It appears so easy of access, and yet many a valiant philosopher from Humboldt down has panted for the glory and failed. The depth of the snow and numerous precipices are the chief obstacles, but the excessively rarefied air is another hindrance. Even in crossing the Arenal, a native of the lowlands complains of violent headache, a propensity to vomit, and a difficulty of breathing. The Arenal is often swept by snowstorms, and history has it that some of the Spanish conquerors were here frozen to death, the pale yellow gravel is considered by some geologists as the moraine of a glacier. It is spread out like a broad gravel walk, so that, without exaggeration, one of the best roads in Ecuador has been made by nature's hand on the crest of the Andes. It was interesting to trace the different hypsometrical zones by the change of vegetation from bodegas to this lofty spot. The laws of the decrease of heat are plainly written on the rapid slopes of the cordilleras. On the hot, steaming lowlands of the coast rain bananas and palms. As these thin out, tree-like ferns take their place. Losing these, we found the cinchona bedewed by the cool clouds of guaranda, and last of all among the trees, the polylepis. The twisted, gnarled trunk of this tree, as well as its size and silvery foliage, reminded us of the olive, but the bark resembles that of the birch. It reaches the greatest elevation of any tree on the globe, then followed shrubby fuchsia, calceolaria, eupatoria, and red and purple gentians. Around and on the arenal, a uniform mantle of monocotyledonous plants, with scattered tufts of valeriana, viola, and geranium, all with rigid leaves in the characteristic rosettes of superalpine vegetation. And on the porphyritic and trachytic sides of Chimborazo, lichens alone, Snow then covers the last effort of vegetable life. Footnote. According to Sir J. Hooker, among the flowers which adorn the slopes of the Himalayas, rhododendrons occupy the most prominent place, and primroses next. There are no orchids, neither red gentians, but blue. Organic life ceases 3,000 feet lower than on the Andes. Yet it is affirmed that flowering plants occur at the height of 18,460 feet which is equivalent to the summit of Chimborazo in point of temperature. The polylepis, polylepis racemosa, is one of the sanguisorbaceae. In Quichua, it is sachaquinua. End footnote. The change in the architecture of the houses indicated likewise a change of altitude. The open bamboo huts, shingled with banana leaves, were followed by warmer adobe houses, and these in turn by the straw hovels of the mountain top made entirely of the long, wiry grass of the Paramos. Leaving the Arenal, we rapidly descended by the usual style of road, stone stairs. But down we went, as all the goods for Quito, the grand capital, have done since the Spanish conquest. The old route from Beirut to Damascus is royal in comparison. The general aspect of the eastern slope is that of a gray, barren waste, overgrown with paja. But now and then we crossed deep gullies, whose sides were lined with mosses and sprinkled with calceolarias, lupines, etc. In our descent we had before us the magnificent valley of Quito, and beyond it the eastern cordillera, 
Below us was Riobamba, and far away to the right the deep gorge of the Pastaza. Nevertheless, this is one of the loneliest rides earth can furnish. Not a tree nor human habitation is in sight. Icy rivulets and mule trains are the only moving objects on this melancholy heath. Even Drake's plantation bitters, painted on the volcanic cliffs of Chimborazo, would be a relief. At last we reached our rude accommodations for the night. It was a solitary mud tambo, glorying in the euphonious name of Chuquipoyo. The courtyard was a sea of mud and manure, for this is the halting place for all the caravans between Quito and the coast. Our room was a horrid hole, dark, dirty, damp, and cold, without a window or a fire. There was one old rickety bedstead, but as that belonged to the lady in our party, the rest betook themselves to benches, table, and floor. We filled our stomachs with an unpalatable potato soup containing cheese and eggs, and laid down to wait for the morning. Grass is the only fuel here, but this is not the chief reason why it is so difficult to make good tea or cook potatoes at this wretched tambo. Water boils at 190 degrees, or before it is fairly hot. It is well the potatoes are small. The muleteers slept with their beasts outside, though the night was fearfully cold, for Chuquipoyo lies on the frigid side of Chimborazo, at an elevation of over 12,000 feet above the sea. As Johnson said to Boswell, this is a dolorous place. Gladly we left this cheerless tambo, though a cold heavy mist was falling as we rode northward over the seemingly endless paramo of San Ancajas. Here, as throughout the highlands of Ecuador, ditches are used for fences, so that, should the traveler wander from the path, he finds himself stopped by an impassable gulf. In two hours and a half we reached Mocha, a lifeless pueblo under the shadow of Carguairazo. Slowly descending from our high altitude, we gradually entered a more congenial climate, the zone of wheat and barley, till finally signs of an eternal spring were all around us, ripening corn on one side and blossoming peas on the other. Late in the afternoon the road led us through a sandy, sterile tract, till suddenly we came in sight of Ambato, beautifully situated in a deep ravine, 8,550 feet above the Pacific. The city ranks next to Quito in beauty. It is certainly an oasis, the green foliage of its numerous shade trees and orchards contrasting with the barren hills around. It is two degrees warmer than Quito, and is famous for its fruit and fine climate. It is the Lin of Ecuador, the chief articles of manufacture being boots and shoes, cheap but of poor quality. It was destroyed by an earthquake in 1698. The houses are built of sun-dried brick and whitewashed. The streets, with gutters in the center, are at right angles and paved, and adorned with numerous cypress-looking trees called sauce, a species of willow. The plaza, which contains a useful if not ornamental fountain, presents a lively scene on Sunday, the great market day. The inn is a fair specimen of a public house in Spanish America. Around the courtyard, where the beasts are fed, are three or four rooms to let. They are ventilated only when opened for travelers. The floor is of brick, but alive with fleas. The walls are plastered, but veiled with cobwebs. The furniture, of primitive make and covered with dust, consists of a chair or two, a table, and a bed of boards covered with a thin straw mat. There is not a hotel in Ecuador where sheets and towels are furnished. The landlords are seldom seen, 
the entire management of the concern is left to a slovenly indian boy who is both cook and hostler no amount of bribery will secure a meal in less than two hours ten years ago there was not a posada in the country now there is entertainment for man and beast at guayaquil guaranda mocha ambato tacunga machachi and quito riobamba has a billiard saloon but no inn leaving ambato we breakfasted at cunchebamba an indian village of half a dozen straw huts thence the road for a long distance winds through vast deposits of volcanic debris the only sign of vegetation being hedges of aloe and cactus arid hills and dreary plains covered with plutonic rocks and pumice dust tell us we are approaching the most terrible volcano on the earth crossing the sources of the pastasa we entered la tacunga situated on a beautiful plain at the foot of cotopaxi seven hundred feet higher than ambato footnote this is shortened in parlance to tacunga the full name according to la condamine is llactacunga llacta meaning country and cunga neck End footnote. its average temperature is fifty nine degrees the population chiefly indians numbers about fifteen thousand it is the dullest city in ecuador without the show of enterprise or business not even grass grows in the streets the usual sign of life in the spanish towns it is also one of the filthiest and though it has been many times thoroughly shaken by earthquakes and buried under showers of volcanic dust it is still the paradise of fleas which have survived every revolution ida pfeiffer says that after a night's rest in latacunga she awoke with her skin marked all over with red spots as if from an eruptive disease we can certify that we have been tattooed without the night's rest the town has a most stupid and forlorn aspect half of it is in ruins it was four times destroyed between sixteen ninety eight and seventeen ninety seven in seventeen fifty six the jesuit church was thrown down though its walls were five feet thick the houses are of one story are built of pumice widely different from the palaces and temples which are said to have stood here in the palmy days of the incas cotopaxi stands threateningly near and its rumbling thunder is the source of constant alarm from latacunga to quito there is a very fine carriage road the result of one man's administration senor g garcia moreno for many miles it passes over an uncultivated plateau strewn with volcanic fragments the farms are confined to the slopes of the cordilleras and as everywhere else the tumbling haciendas indicate the increasing poverty of the owner superstition and indolence go hand in hand on a great rock rising out of the sandy plain they show a print of the foot of st bartholomew who alighted here on a visit surely to the volcanoes as it was long before the red man had found this valley abreast of cotopaxi the road cuts through high hills of fine pumice interstratified with black earth and rapidly ascends till it reaches tiupullo eleven thousand five hundred feet above the sea this high ridge sometimes called chisinche stretching across the valley from cotopaxi to ilinisa is a part of the great watershed of the continent the waters on the southern slope flowing through the pastasa and amazon to the atlantic those on the north finding their way to the pacific by the rio esmeraldas at this bleak place we breakfasted on punch and guinea pig as soon as we began to descend the glittering cone of cotopaxi and the gloomy plain it has so often devastated passed out of view 
and before us was a green valley exceedingly rich and well cultivated girt by a wall of mountains the towers of which were the peaks of corazon and rumiñagui loathsome lepers by the wayside alone disturbed the pleasing impression three hours more of travel brought us to the straggling village of machachi standing in the centre of the beautiful plain at an altitude of nine thousand nine hundred feet nature designed this spot for a home of plenty and comfort but the habitations of the wretched proprietors are windowless adobe hovels thatched with dried grass and notorious for their filth we must needs make one more ascent for the ridge of tambillo hides the goal of our journey the moment we reached the summit views unparalleled in the andes or anywhere else met our astonished vision whithersoever we looked far away to the south stretched the two cordilleras till they were lost in the mist which enshrouded chimborazo and tunguragua turning to the north we beheld the city of quito at our feet and pichincha and antisana standing like gallant sentinels on either side of the proud capital beautiful were the towering mountains and almost as delightful now are the memories of that hour a broad well-travelled road gentlemen on horseback clad in rich ponchos droves of indians bowed under their heavy burdens and long lines of laden donkeys hurrying to and fro indicate our approach to a great city winding with the road through green pastures and fields of ripening grain and crossing the machangara by an elegant bridge we enter the city of the incas End of chapter two